I wonder if people back in the day, like Aphex Twin or anyone, if someone said IDM at the when it first started, if it annoyed them. Well, I mean, there's that famous like clip of Aphex Twin being asked about the term IDM and him saying something like, I think it's a dumb term because it insinuates or infers that like all other music is stupid. Because oh, yeah. Like, I've never seen that clip. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, there's a clip of, I think it's Aphex saying something like that. But I mean, I don't know. It's just a fucking term, right? Like, right. gives a shit. It's- it made it easier on airplanes for when you, you used to just have to say rave music or, you know, techno to some guy that was next to you asking what you did. Um, but now you just say EDM and he's like, oh yeah. And then he names like four of your friends because everything's so fucking big now. And I'm like, you know, have you heard of Skrillex? And they're like, oh my God, I love Skrillex. And like, this dude is like 65 years old and <laughs> in a suit. And he's like, I love Skrillex. Like my daughter put me onto him. My son loves him. And I'm like, it's like that, but not as popular and good. Like yeah. it's not. <laughs> You're like, I'm like Skrillex, but not as good. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, it's like that music, but just not, not that whatsoever. <laughs> Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com, Bill's manager. And depending on when you're hearing this episode, I'm either about to die or have in fact died due to 72 hours of insane programming at the Unst Festival. Bill's guest today is a fellow Hoosier like myself, Evansville's own Josh Gard, a.k.a. Figure, with releases on Ausla, Never Say Die, Disciple, Smog, and his own Doom music imprint, among others. It just so happens that October is his busiest time of year, thanks to his association with ghouls and goblins. He's the Wes Craven of dubstep. No, the the John Carpenter of drumstep. No, the, the, the Clive Barker of horrorcore. Is this fun for anyone? Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts and other assorted podcatchers. It really helps people find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. We really appreciate everyone who chips in to help the show keep going that way. Here's Bill's upcoming show schedule. The Uns Festival is probably already sold out if you're listening to it before it officially gets underway. But Infrasound is coming up the following week, although that might be sold out by the time you hear this as well. And then there's Kill Bill at the Mish in northern Colorado on June 26th. And come to think of it, that might be sold out as well by the time you hear this episode. How about when Bill announces a show anytime this year, you just go get your ticket right away because I'm sensing something of a pattern. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill took some time off from his new album to do some tutorials for the HCA feed, so they're up there now. That's all for me. Enjoy Bill's chat with Figure. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, 
Um, glad to be on it, man. It's all, it's like between this and, uh, like one other podcast, I haven't been listening to any other music. It's just nice <laughs> podcast the entire time. What's the other podcast you're listening to? Um, the last podcast on the left, it's like just macabre occult type stuff, Okay, but it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but they do so much damn research that you walk away like knowing every, if they do something about Jeffrey Dahmer, you go away knowing everything possible about Jeffrey Dahmer, but also it's hilarious the entire time. Crazy. Yeah. You're super into that stuff. Hey, I like the whole figure um, project is like based around this like Halloween vibe stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's honestly just like what I'm in, what I'm into, you know, like it's, the whole house is just map maximal decoration everywhere. Everything is like just a bunch of spooky shit or it's just, it's always been like that. It's always been my, uh, just what I've been into since I was like five. Nice. So, and is it, um, is it like the sort of just visual aesthetic style about it that you like, or, or do you kind of really enjoy the lore and the, and the vibe of that stuff? All, all of it. I mean, from simple, turn my phone off, but simple enough, like shit, just going to a, a movie to, um, having posters everywhere, like having a bunch of tattoos of it or reading books that probably shouldn't be on a plane for someone to see, you know, like just all of it. I don't know. It's just a very encompassing, uh, like subculture, I guess, because then it also relates to music as well. Like a lot of the music kind of conjoins the vibe of it, like darker metal stuff and all that type of stuff. You kind of feel like you're watching something scary. I mean, we still watch like Wreck-It Ralph in the office and stuff like that at home, but. Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph laughs. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. It's so good. Wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, Skrillex in that for a second? I'm pretty sure Noisier did the the outro music to it, maybe, or was it Skrillex? Maybe let's see. No, like literally him, like as a character DJing. Oh shit, was he? I think so. Um, let's see. Skrillex is once again working with Disney on new animated movie, and then oh yeah, he was in it. Crazy, cool. Yeah, I guess he was. That's cool. That'd be sick. Um, so wait, where are you based? I'm in Evansville, Indiana. So it's like the most Southern tip of Indiana. So 15 minutes I'm in Kentucky, but the easiest way to picture it is Indiana looks like a boot and I'm in the toe. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, like an hour and a half from Louisville, Kentucky. Nice man. Yeah. yeah I've been to Louisville once I played at, um, <clears throat> where did I play? Mercury, Mercury, Bo- Mercury yeah. ballroom. Yeah. I think it was Mercury ballroom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty cool place. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said last week we, we couldn't do the podcast because it snowed there and, and it knocked your power out. Was that some yeah. well, storms as well? Yeah. I mean, it knocked like we didn't have as bad as Texas where it literally turned into like a third world country overnight with no power, no anything. But um, yeah, like ice storms, everything was frozen around here. And I live really far out. So all the... Uh, there's just fields everywhere and 
it literally looked like like just glass every like all these like miles and miles of fields were just frozen um the towers the internet towers are already really shoddy so like on the best best day i'll get about 20 down and five up on my internet so when they freeze over and stuff happens it's just like you just kind of got to deal with it so we had to live on our um live on our our phone hotspots for a while but we only have one or two bars of cell service out here in the first place mm. so it's 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 worse <clears throat> but fingers crossed that this internet connection even stays solid during <laughs> us doing this yeah how is it now is it still like cold as fuck over there or is it um i had the window open earlier i mean it's it's cold but it's not it's not if you get stuck outside you're gonna die cold anymore but it was really so it was really it was not cold for a while like if you got stuck outside you would just die well i mean it was like negative 20 damn yeah and then and and that's like in fahrenheit right right but then out here in celsius that is negative 28 celsius that's crazy (laughs) that's nuts yeah that's so cold that's but there's also because it's so kind of desolate out here it's just cornfields and stuff and everything is plowed down because it's obviously not the season to grow things right now uh my cat meowing but uh there's no nothing to break the wind so it's even colder out here because the wind just piles through everything there's no buildings to break it up mm. it's nuts. Yeah, true yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point it's like a lot has a lot to do with um like geography as to like which parts are going to get cold and warm right because like you got these valleys where all the wind sort of goes into and like right yeah it's hard right. to like conceptualize that as a human i think because we're so like small in comparison to everything right <laughs> to wind patterns across the entire world yeah, exactly and like just the, the geography of like the ground for like you know many 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 miles <laughs> Yeah, it's wild. I didn't understand it really because my mom warned me when I was moving out here that's going to be colder. That looks literally like <laughs> your cat looks almost exactly like one of my cats. Yeah, so I'm putting her on my laptop. Hopefully, she'll stay there. <clears throat> Megan, my cat knocks on doors. Oh, that's cool. So that sometimes the right the right setting at night it's really creepy because it sounds like someone's trying to get out from inside the basement (laughs) yeah so my cat does this annoying thing where she'll like get on top of my speakers which is fine like for her to be up there but they're they're really expensive speakers they're like the barefoot mm 27s oh my god barefoot's so great they're so nice man but then she'll do this thing where like if i'm not paying attention to it like she'll just sit up there for a while and just chill and then after a while, she'll start like leaning down the front and start pouring at the cones. Oh, fuck. She actually put a hole in one of them the other day. So <laughs> she's now currently in barefoot jail. She's not allowed to go up there anymore. Jesus. I was just going to say, like, does she ever mess with the cones? I just saw some random thing on the internet, uh, some thing you'll get on your, um, your recommends on Instagram if you're just bored scrolling through. And some guy was taking a video of his cat. It was just on top of like some KRKs and it was pollen and it like ripped the cone. Why would he yeah. even video that? Why wouldn't he just get rid of the cat like immediately? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, this is going to fucking get me a couple of views on Instagram. Totally worth it. Right, right. You know that those Instagram views don't pay you money, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. 
that's ridiculous. Dude, there's so many people in this industry who are like fixated on SoundCloud likes and SoundCloud plays and Instagram plays and all that shit. And it's like, I mean, why? It's just that shit does not pay the rent. Right. I mean, it right. could be like an exterior thing that can like help pay the rent at some point. Well, it's almost, it's, it's like indirect, you're, it's like indirect traffic. You're, you're, you could just be directing it to the point. It's, it's like if you had a website, mrbill.com, you wouldn't want to send me to a website called go to mrbill.com for me to go to mrbill.com. So people are just indirecting people, like directing people towards the wrong, the wrong shit. I mean, I've been, I went back and was, I, I don't really pay attention to like comments or plays and stuff, especially on SoundCloud, but I went back to just see, cause I put a, an album out last uh, October and I didn't check plays or anything. I just was like, Oh shit. I wonder how that did on there. Cause SoundCloud for me has slowly just been going down once all the other streaming platforms are coming up. It, God, I, that is the slowest traffic ever on there. I mean, there's some songs that like even had debuts on big, you know, big YouTube channels that linked right to it. that have like 3000 plays. That's all since, uh, since October. It's great. Cause that used to be the spot when SoundCloud SoundCloud started, you would get like 50,000 in three days, just organically. No, no, no website posts. And you know, it was just that hype them, hype linking to ship certain shit. Yeah, the problem was the repost button, I think, because once yeah. that got introduced, it's like, yes, it helped a lot with like, you know, uh, being able to share stuff you thought was cool and like, you know, being able to like find stuff that your friends thought was cool. But of course, like everything in this world, uh, you know, humans figured out a way to exploit it. Right. Like greed, basically, which is right. kind of what's happening with Bitcoin right now, for instance. Oh god, yeah. I just started reading about um about all that uh NFT or T I can't remember what the fuck it's called. I literally just started yesterday reading about it because Grammatic posts something about he made like a million five in five minutes on Nifty. He made selling a million dollars. A million, yeah, million and a half dollars selling a song. But who too? it's the see i don't understand it enough but um i literally like after like after this just sometime today i'm getting on call with my manager because he knows all he was like yeah i got you but he understands it but it's kind of like a store within cryptocurrency that world where and i'm like someone's gonna listen to this and knows what's up and he's like he has no idea what he's talking about but it's Uh, this guy says i buy and collect art nifties yeah, that's that's one that's just one site that does it, but it's literally like Zomboy's on there and he's selling like a six second digital clip that you would just use live at a show, and people are paying thousands of dollars to own this digital art. It's just basically it's it's people, I think, saying that digital art is as worth as much as like physical art, and. Right, but I mean, the only thing that would ever make it as worthy as physical art is if you could um, make it as rare as physical art, right? Because the thing that yeah. makes like a vinyl so expensive sometimes is the fact that there's only like three thousand of them. Well, that's a thing. That's that's 
they're doing something. So there's something called like an an open source one or open edition, and that can be sold and rebought by whoever buys it as many times. And then there could be like uh, exclusive editions where there's only five of them. Gotcha. And how do they make sure that like nobody else gets like, 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 let's say you put a thing up and you make five of them and five of them just get sold. What's stopping any of those five people from just putting them up on like pirate Bay? I, I think nothing. <clears throat> it, it's such a gray area. Like, but see, then there's something where when you sell something like exclusive like that, where it's only five of them, you get 10% forever of any time they sell it. So if you sold something for a hundred bucks and, and something happened and all of a sudden it's worth a hundred thousand, then you're randomly going to get 10,000, just a random deposit for 10,000 or, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's very confusing. But, uh, I'm looking at this shit right now. It looks like there's something called Satoshi Nakamoto Purple Queens Collection Open Edition by Grammatic that you can buy for 3.725 million. <laughs> like, who, why? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, nothing against the track. It's just like, but it's, yeah, like it's, 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 a, it's a track. But also, you could sell things and they can own 100% of the publishing as well like how wu-tang did a couple years ago when they sold one album want the one master copy to that okay that's different then i guess yeah um that's that's but i mean let's be real this track's not gonna make four million dollars like which track somehow that that one track made 1.5 that's crazy thing like i don't know him either and i wanted to like almost wanted to reach out be like can you explain this to me you know i know he was like a big he was big into the Bitcoin shit because he like made that Satoshi Nakamoto track a while ago or whatever. Also, Moody Good, I think, made a track called Satoshi Nakamoto. Crazy. <clears throat> Justin yeah. Roiland, he's the guy who makes uh, Rick and Morty, is it? Or what does he do? Yeah. Damn, dude. It's crazy that people are selling art on here for just heinous amounts of money. Right. And then I guess all you have to do is transfer it to your that di- your digital wallet, you know, that. Yeah, I got to look into but, this. I don't understand this shit at all. Right. Because I was saying, like, get, like, I think it's going <laughs> to spoil itself really quick and get really overran with, with brand selling variants of their logos and just a lot of random shit. So it's like, if this is going to be useful to people like us that, you know, and be like, I have this song, like, you know, what? what can I do with it? It's, it's kind of like time is of the essence to get in on that before it gets spoiled. Right. Which means if, if that's the case, it means it's a pyramid scheme basically. <laughs> right. Right. Which is exactly like how Bitcoin is, right? People are like, Oh man, I should have got in earlier because it's like the only other time you say that is when shit's a pyramid scheme. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the dumbest shit ever, but I mean, this is just insane to me. I'm looking at Zomboy's page right now, and it's like, um, there's essentially what look like a bunch of uh, like visuals that you would like 3D rendering visuals yeah. that you would play at his show or something like that. And they're just like little video clips of like his logo head that are just animated spinning around and like have trippy graphics on them and shit like that. Right. Um, and there's one of them, I mean, there's a bunch that all look identical to me. But one of them is selling for eighteen hundred dollars, and another one is selling for ten grand. And then there's another 
one that's selling for seventy three thousand dollars. It's like, what? How does this fucking work? And also, what do you do? Like, not even, not even. Where's the logic behind buying it? What the hell do you do with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think at this point, it's probably like, um, remember when there was that app for iPhone that was like the Diamond app, and you could buy it on the App Store. It did literally nothing except when you locked your home screen or whatever your iPhone just had a diamond on it and wow. the app costs something crazy. Like, um, here, let me Google it. iPhone diamond app. Was that just so like for a clout move? So people could see that you had a diamond on your lock screen. Yeah, that's all it was. So it was a $1,000 app. Um, <laughs> and the app was just called I am rich. And pretty much like when you lock your home screen, there was just a red diamond on, on your home screen. And yeah, I mean, it got pulled off the App Store because it was so dumb that, like, you know, no, like, yeah, no, no one, like, thinks that it's a, a good idea or anything. But, um, yeah, it's just incredible that, that this shit exists. And I think the the same kind of people who would buy that shit just to be like, look at this like thing that I bought for a thousand dollars because I have a you know a thousand dollars that came into my possession that I'm gonna spend on this crap because I'm such a baller. Right. Those, those are the kind of people I think who are going to be like, check it out. I've got this one Zomboy uh, VJ clip that, you know, I, I don't have any use for, but I have it. <laughs> yeah. Just to brag, like literally people would normally have pictures and like, no, look at this, this Maserati that I have. And you, bra- but now it's, you're actually, the people are going to be bragging about the picture that they have on their phone. It's not a picture of anything. It's just, it's actually, that's the source. Yeah, that's who, who I think would absolutely kill this game is Tipper if he released some of his unreleased tunes. Oh yeah, he has such good unreleased tracks that he's just been playing out for years that like nobody has. And if he like I put some of these up, I, I guarantee you someone would give easily a couple of Bitcoin for one. Right. Well, yeah. Just to, at that point, just take take twelve songs and say here's an unreleased album and. You could buy, someone set this up. I was talking to my friend about it, but he, so at first you sell, like he sold uh, this pictures and he sold four drawings and then he had, and there was a certain amount of the drawings. So say there was a hundred each that you could buy. And then he had something that finished all those drawings that made it one, almost like a comic book page. Like you're missing a part and, so he's like, but to buy this final page, which was a ridiculous price, you have to own all four mm. of those previously released images that I did. So now all those images went back on the marketplace and started just going crazy. So then his fans that bought those, you know, assuming they were his fans and not, you know, just like crypto boys, just they're all about that. But his fans all of a sudden made $20,000 back because they sold his those limited edition 100 ones. So whoever bought those could buy his whole page. He was selling. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Reading about nifty gateway right now. It says uh, nifty gateway is a centralized USD based marketplace for buying and selling nifties. Nifty gateway lets you display your nifties as well as just withdraw them to external wallets or deposit nifties from external wallets into your collection. So I guess a nifty is like a piece of item. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. So it's like, 
yeah, Nifty Gateway is the premier place, uh, marketplace to buy, sell, and store your digital art and collectibles uh, in the form of Nifties or non-fungible tokens, NFTs. It's almost like a real-life loot crate. Yeah, honestly, like that, that's kind of what it seems like. So I'm Googling non-fungible tokens right now. I'm on the Wikipedia. I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, it says a non-fungible token is a special type of cryptographic token which represents something unique. Non-fungible tokens are thus not mutually interchangeable, and this is in contrast to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and many network or utility tokens that are fungible in nature. All right, so non-fungible tokens are used to create verifiable digital scarcity as well as digital ownership and the possibility of asset interp interoperability across multiple platforms. NFTs used in several specific applications that require unique digital items like crypto art, crypto collectibles, and crypto gaming. So they're on a, the Ethereum blockchain. Um, yeah, I mean, I still can't fully. <clears throat> right. Uh, I guess the first non. Uh, okay, so non fungible tokens first became popular when Crypto Kitties went viral and subsequently raised a $12.5 million investment. Rare Bits, a non-fungible token marketplace and exchange, raised a $6 million investment. GameDex, which is a collectible cards game platform made possible by NFTs, raised an $800,000 seed round and blah, blah, blah. So, <clears throat> um, <laughs> holy shit. Apparently, Nike has a patent for a blockchain-based NFT sneakers called CryptoKicks. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think I get it. I think it's um, <clears throat> like a token that when you have that token, it's not the same as anyone else's token. So it's like right. if you have a Bitcoin and I have a Bitcoin, they're just as good as one another. It doesn't matter. We could trade our Bitcoins and it wouldn't. It would be the same as right. if it started. But I think with a non-fungible token, if you have non-fungible token one one six three and I have non-fungible token two thousand and twenty, right? Uh, then if we trade them, we have different non-fungible tokens. Uh, and they are, I guess, assigned to different pieces of art. So, I guess that makes sense <clears throat> since, it's, uh, since we are talking about like actual content. Right. So it's like I could make a track and I could be like, all right, I want to assign this non-fungible token ID to this piece of art. And the only way that you can get this piece of art is with this specific token. And then I right. guess you sell the token for however much. And then I don't know. Right. It's kind of beyond me, but yeah, I should look into this shit. I think um, Hero Bus was actually telling me about this a few weeks ago too. And I think also Jake um, killed a noise. Like I posted some shit about Bitcoin on my uh, thread. Actually, no, I should go back and look at this. I, um, yeah, I'm going to go see if that's what they were talking about on this thread. Because I posted this thing about Bitcoin a while ago where I was basically just like, Bitcoin is bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, <clears throat> how long ago was this? Oh, this was a while ago. Let's see if I can find it. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. And then Jake posted somewhere on here. I've never looked into it. I mean, I... I've never looked into Bitcoin or anything. I've never really read anything about it other than just quick conversations. Like my friend has a couple and that's it. And he'll just tell me when it's went up, <clears throat> went down. 
I mean, I've, I've, a couple at this point, that's a lot. Like they're worth, mm-hmm. I think of, as of yesterday, um, what's the price of Bitcoin? Uh, currently it's worth $53,000, which is pretty Jesus nuts. Christ. I mean, dude, last night when I went to bed, it was worth 56,000, which means it went down three grand overnight. Like this, it's so volatile. It's insane. Yeah. Um, that's why I mean, he got it really early. Cause he was like, it sounded like a cool idea. It sounded like from a weird sci-fi movie or something. So I just, yeah, he got it for nothing or whatever nothing was back then for how much it cost compared to today. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, right. I think back in the day, yeah, you could buy them at some point for like less than a dollar. Right. Um, yeah. So kill the noise posted on this thread where I was like, I basically retweeted a thread saying like, this is the most on point thing in regards to Bitcoin. And it was like just some big thing saying like Bitcoin is bullshit, which is basically how I feel about it. It's like a giant right. meme. And then Jake posted, have you checked out the new NFT crypto art stuff? It's pretty fascinating. It all feels like variations of a pyramid scheme, basically, which is how I feel. Uh, and then he said it, it does pose some pretty interesting questions about the value of art and music as a commodity. What gives art value? How does it function? When does it become valuable and in, and in which ways? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I should look into this. But yeah, it does kind of just seem like another tech bro hustle. Right, right. It's cre- It's almost like it's creating value for the sake of value. Like, versus looking at a Picasso and it has its worth for so many different reasons, you know. It also has a different worth to so many different people, right? Like, if I look at a Picasso, I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's pretty cool. Whereas, like, right. if I look at, you know, maybe a big Jackson Pollock, which is, you know, just some guy splatting paint at a wall, I might be like, holy shit, this is incredible. You know? Right, right. But yeah, a bit, but they, they almost earn their worth in a certain sense. But it's almost like now people are creating value for the sake of... You, see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not wording it exactly on, but they're putting money towards something that normally doesn't really cost any money. Right. But I mean, um, like art doesn't usually cost money in this day and age, I guess. Mm-hmm just because but also um like owning a picasso right it's not like if you don't own the picasso you can't see it like you can definitely still see it right Um, but i think again it's kind of like that diamond app on the phone right like if you do own the picasso it's kind of like a flex you're like i own the picasso like this is my shit i bought it with money like i'm a baller i have the picasso right <laughs> right on top of that it's like you get to put it wherever you want in your house and you get to look at it all day every day if you want and right you get to see like the original you can look at it like very closely and like look at all the intricate brush strokes if you want like it, it becomes a whole different experience i imagine if you own a piece of art like that right i mean i own a couple of pieces of art that i've bought from friends for like you know a couple of grand who are just really really great artists and it is a very different experience i think to owning prints and just looking at pictures on the internet because you right. look real close and you can see like all the imperfections in like all the strokes and shit. And that's like pretty cool. Yeah. I don't own much. I, I do own a, uh, one of the actual like propaganda posters from when Hunter S Thompson ran in, uh, for, in Aspen. He ran in Aspen, Colorado for, uh, for, for a uh, sheriff. Oh shit. That's I sick. believe, but it's like a two sided thing. And it was this whole, someone got it for me for a present, but it's like, this, it was this whole long verification process. Cause it's very easy to fake. Cause it just looks like some shitty old thing that someone would wheat paste against a wall. Mm. But I guess they kept some back. I don't know. <laughs>
and then a couple like hand printed movie posters. But that's I don't have any actual, you know, modern art. I don't think it's I don't know. It's everywhere in the house, but (laughs) some old posters from movies, like some originals, and some hand printed ones for like local shows. Not local from here, but like a double feature tonight. You know. And they only made two of them because it was from, you know, just for one side of the theater and the other. But that's it. Yeah, nice. Um, were you doing a lot of shows before COVID happened? Yeah, I mean, we had a whole tour planned or we were planning the next tour. Because uh, I always basically toured during the end of the year. It easily coincides around Halloween and I always put an al- a full album out in October. So we just start in the beginning of September and just go for the rest of the year, like every single year. So that kind of cut it out. But then during the years, it's just constant one-offs and, you know, a couple festivals here and there and stuff like that. Nice. And when you but, do it to it, do you usually do it in like a, like a van or a bus or do you usually fly? Or? Uh, when they're my, t- when they're my tours, I, I just fly everywhere because I, I don't even fly with the tour manager because I've just been doing it for a while enough to the point I'm comfortable handling everything myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'd feel weird if there was someone hired with me to just sneak up on stage to plug a USB in just so I can... Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And after a certain amount, like if, if they're taking a percentage and not just a straight fee, it just it's, it's nuts. But I mean, I've seen my friends pay so much money for someone on tour that just needed to go to the green room door to grab the pizza and yeah, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty much all flights. Uh, and even my, when I do like a quote unquote production, it's just uh, a projector or a screen and I control all my visuals and that is, that doesn't need anyone else to do it. So even when it is stuff like that, it's, it's still me flying. Maybe if I, I bring my own mixer, mm. but Wait, uh, you control your own visuals from stage using like Ableton or something or Resolution? Uh, actually, Serato video. Cool. So you like have you DJ off Serato decks? Yeah. Well, at first it was 100% Serato and it was like Serato with, you know, 1200s and that, you know, that original setup and using that for, uh, for Serato video. And then there started being more problems than not problem. Right. <laughs> because of the decks or like people would just be like, man, we haven't got these out of the basement in seven years. And I'm like, great. They're, they're moldy and dusty inside and they're probably not calibrated. Like that's going to be garbage. And it just issues started happening to the point that, uh, would if it it starts making you look bad, but luck, I would always bring a MIDI fighter with me and I had, it was always my backup. So the crowd actually never knew shit was going wrong on the, in the setup on stage because I had the MIDI fighters a backup and all I had was, um, the top two buttons on the left side were the speed up and slow down for one track. And, you know, same on the other side. And then nothing else was assigned, but the bottom left and right button was just stop and play. <laughs> and that was it. And I could do a whole, the whole set just with the mixer and then the MIDI fighter. And it started getting to the point where I would just put the MIDI fighter on the, like on the vinyl and not even try to use the tables. And I was like, this feels cheap. Like, I feel like I asked for these for, um, for a look, like it looked like I'm using turntables. Uh, so I just said no more turntables. I I guess I got to learn CDJs. Um, 
So yeah. then for a while I flipped to, I, what? I was going to say, if you've already learned turntables, you know, using CDJ should be pretty easy. Oh my God. Yeah. I bought, I bought a pair and within 30 minutes, like of using them, I was like, Oh, and they've never been plugged back in before. Like it was just, it was really just the funk, you know, learning the menus and stuff like that. That was it. But, um, yeah, this, then I flipped to CDJs and did some like two tours without doing video and all that stuff. Just having someone else, you know, whoever was an in-house guy, but then switched back. Cause I was getting bored. I felt like I was just hitting play. It was just, it was, it was such a, a, a difference. There was nothing as tactile. It, it just didn't feel the same as, as moving to tables. But I mean, there was literally like five of us left, um, at that point still on tables, but now there's more people, um, like out and about with it. Like, like Zeke still using tables and, you know, but at that point, I swear in like that, that circuit at that time, it was just like me, a track craze, Uzi, and like maybe one other person, but if he's at table still, yeah. Well, he just uh, uses one actually. I mean, he yeah. does all of his like tracks and stuff just in Ableton, and then he just has one to to scratch with. Right, right. That's the one thing I really miss is it's just like I feel like I'm missing out. It's it's just it's scratching on on CDJs, and especially with the Pioneer fader on the on the 800 900. I just I hate I cannot stand that fader, so I just I stopped scratching. I start I stopped doing all that. But the, and so they moved back in and yeah, started using Serato with CDJs. It's the easiest thing ever. Cause once, once the videos are linked, you just do your set and it just, when you load the, the song and the video loads instantly. So you're not doing anything extra other than having a, a, a MIDI controller up there to control the effects on the videos to like blend them better. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's always that, like there's so many like common problems that just I don't feel like have been properly solved yet. And I feel like one of them is triggering video through a set. There's a few ways to do it. Like G Jones does it in Ableton using MIDI clips and right. the audio clip that he wants to trigger right next to the MIDI clip and then just sort of like triggers scenes. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Serato video, there's also a way to do it where you like hook up um, like a Cat5 cable from one computer yeah. to another to trigger Resolume or something like that. There's like a bunch of options. But yeah, I feel like... Um, computers are probably not that far off just having some all-in-one like maybe the, with these m1 chip macbooks they might be on the right direction to just having like an all-in-one solution where you can just like have one computer that just runs everything you just plug like a single cable into a system and then it's just like everything. it just takes everything yeah or i mean not even a cable man like when when are we going to get like wireless bandwidth that's fast enough to just transfer video and stuff like that yeah, that would be nuts. They, they almost had it at first. Uh, uh, Pioneer used to have a, a VG CDJ hmm. where you could you could literally burn a DVD and have the song and the video on it. And when you played it, it had video out. And it, uh, Mike Realm used to do these these live video sets with them. And yeah, it was literally just looked like a CDJ, but play your CDJ set, but have the D, but have the the uh, video file attached to it and you're good to go, but they stopped. I, they only made one because it was, they were also like $5,000 for one of them. Mm. They but, made a single unit. Something like that. I mean, it was really expensive. I mean, I remember it was double whatever CDJs were selling for Damn. at that time. So for an experimental idea to be selling for double of the, just the normal ones. 
But yeah. do, you, do you know um, Space Laces? He, he lives pretty close to, to you, right? Yeah, we kind of like not as child, like like actual childhood, but we kind of grew up together, like musically. So I've known him. I I used to live in Lola. I I, I keep moving back and forth, and uh, I'm I'm here now and like been here for a while. But I've lived in Lola like four different times, and the pat the first uh, or the the last three, I met him finally and. We, we hung out all the time. He was already going by space laces, but I think he had some other project that he used to make some music for like some, some snowboarding PC games or I can't remember what it was. Um, and for a while he never told me that he was making what he made like this, the stuff he's making now, especially the electro stuff. Um, he was making that electro stuff so long ago and it sounded so much better than everyone's, but he just didn't finish shit. He would have 30 second clips and he's like, well, my point in music isn't to do anything with it. My point was I wanted to nerd out, make these sounds. And so I'm a comp I've, I've accomplished that for this one. This 16 bar drop is done and there needs to be nothing else. And he would send people clips and people, I remember there was a couple of times where I would like edit other songs to build up to his drop. <laughs> Cause it was like the, it was, he just made this crazy shit. But yeah, I've known, I've known him for, for a long ass time. I actually, his first tour, his actual first like legitimate long tour was with me seven years ago, maybe six, seven, something. It was my first uh, tour where I did Terravision, which is that the visual show that we were just talking about. But uh, yeah, and he really didn't want to go on it. Cause he's not a super people person, mm-hmm. but I was just like, if you're going to do it with anyone, like, you know, you're safe with me. Like I'm not a super party animal or anything. So he was finally convinced them to go. It was sick. And it was right when he only had clips on SoundCloud and there was this weird cult about him where like no one knew what his face looked like or anything. Yeah. Like when he was posting that old, like, cheeseburger clip and shit like that yeah yeah, yeah maybe even right. before that like but yeah that time where no one knew what he looked like no one it was really cool especially to see like going to other cities where other producers lived and they were like am i allowed to meet him <laughs> like yeah he's not like he's not like the pope or something you don't have to have, ask permission and he'll tell you to fuck off if he doesn't want to talk to you <laughs> but yeah, no, I love that guy. I think he's just, he's such a good producer. It's the only guy I send music to for uh, constructive criticism, you know? Cool. But Yeah, it seems like he's probably a good guy for that. Um, I heard yeah. a friend of mine, Ulisile, he was like, yeah, apparently the way Space Laces got good at music was he would like always send his shit to a friend who like didn't even write music. And his friend would always just be like, this is garbage, this sucks. <laughs> And so he'd always be like trying to like get better and better and better to the point where like this friend wouldn't uh, to try and get this friend to basically say that what he was doing was good. Um, and apparently he like never got that response from this. I wonder who it was. I don't know. I wonder if it was, I wonder if it was someone local from like from Louisville. Cause I probably know him or it could have been someone online, you know, someone in aim. Cause he, he's been deep into internet stuff and, and forum <laughs> forum culture and all that stuff for so long. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. He probably knew a bunch of 
huge people. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you guys are both pretty like hooked up with uh, that excision community too, right? Yeah, I mean him more than me, but I've just I've known I've known I've known Jeff forever. I've known that whole team forever. Um, I mean, shit, Lost Lands is like a three-hour drive from here. But yeah, they used to work together a lot, and then I did that first Paradox tour with uh with Jeff. It was really fun. That also with Ill Gates. No, that was with Bear Grylls. That was like right before Bear Grylls like popped. Hmm. Like a year after that, if we would have did that tour, I would have had to play first. Right. But on that tour, he had to play. Yeah. That was a, that was my first real bus tour. I mean, I've done like driving tours, like for hip hop stuff, where we just drive in a car cross country and stuff. But that was a whole different experience, especially like Jeff just takes care of shit. So it, he doesn't just have a bus. He has this like insanely nice bus with marble everywhere and a big flat screen. And like, no, actually I'm lying. That wasn't my, uh, I did, um, safe and sound like way back in the day. That was a bus tour, but I was only on for like two and a half weeks. Hmm. Cool. Um, what's the hip hop stuff that you've done? Um, I keep loving it and trying it again and I keep hating it, but, um, not, I mean, I always listen to it, but, uh, just back in the day, me and my friend Jake, he, um, he, uh, was the rapper. I was the MC and I produce, or, or he was the rapper. I was the, uh, producer and the DJ and we would just set, we would just make, music where we were both as active as each other in the song. So I would have a bunch of either musical parts where I would like scratch melodies in from things or just typical MC DJ shit where like I would scratch the the hook of a vocal. And yeah, it was just, it was like DJ MC stuff. And then the whole figure thing started. And that, that was happening forever. Like I started doing hip hop shows when I was like 14 or something like playing before metal and punk bands here. It was, we just had this amazing venue that just had brought so much music to this like tiny city. But yeah, I stopped doing the hip hop stuff um, when I just started making electronic music and I just want to dive into it. And then it got to the point where I could kind of breathe and not be worried about like where I was going and what I was doing with the whole figure thing. I was comfortable. So I started writing hip hop again. And um, I mean, I always make beats when I'm bored cause I use my MPC a lot, like still in the studio. So I always will just make loops and shit, but we actually went on a tour a couple of years ago. It was just a hip hop tour with, cause we put a whole album out, like press final and had like prayer candles with our faces on it. And all this shit, uh, went on a tour and literally drove around the entire United States. It was a long tour. And it's funny cause some of the shows coincided with, electronic shows that I would normally be on. So like, uh, playing first Avenue and not first Avenue. I can't believe what's the big venue in Minneapolis. Uh, Skyway. Yes. Skyway. Uh, you're talking about like the loft or, uh, well, no. So there's the, there's even a smaller room than the loft, which is like studio B I guess so. And so like during, uh, a ganja white night and I think boogie T show, uh-huh. right under everything was like was our name for a hip-hop gig so there was all these kids that were like i'm really confused what's going on right now why are you at the bottom of the flyer 
why does it say DJ figure? Why does it not say, because it was a stipulation, like, because we didn't use an agency to go, through, like my agency at the time to go through it. We just did our own thing. But that was a, that was a wake up call to really look back and see like how crazy the shows were. And I guess just what I got used to. And I thought it was the norm because I think on that tour, the most we had was a hundred people in a room, but they were all tiny venues, but like, it was, it was weird to jump from, you know, some exploding EDM world down to this very basement oriented genre that I grew up on. <clears throat> that shit's fun though, man. I kind of like miss playing those little hundred person shows or whatever, but at the same time, like every time I play a hundred person show, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I should right. be home in the studio work right. Shit right now. This is bullshit is a waste of time. But like, yeah, it's like it's it's time they're timed well when it's say you have like a big Friday night gig in New York and then like a Saturday whatever in like Miami or something, and then on on Sunday on the way home, you stop in some small town and do one of those basement shows where those kids don't have a big venue, and you're like, okay, that felt right. But it's like when you go to the really big cities and you're like, I should be doing this, and then you play this tiny little it, I, I I'll always love the underground shows and the tiny, yeah, the tiny shows. It just has to be planned right. It has to be on the right schedule, I guess. Because if I, yeah, if I go to Los Angeles and I go to play for a 50 person back of the warehouse rave at the end of the day, I'm going to be kind of butthurt <laughs> about like, yeah, that I wasted my time. I could have just been making music. Yeah. That's kind of where I mostly get, get pissed with touring some of the time is that, yeah, it's just, the time can be better spent a lot like doing music. And also I feel like I don't um, do the math properly in my head for how much money I'm going to make until right. I the road. It's right. like, I'll, I'll see these offers, right? They'll come in and, and obviously the offers are all gross figures. Right. So like here's a, you know, a nice chunky offer here for you. And then it's like, you're on the road and you're like, Hmm, I have to give like 10% to my manager, 10% to my agent. The hotel costs this much. The flights cost this much. I'm spending like this much on food every day. Right. Then you think about it and you're like, fuck, I'm only making like 200 bucks. And I'm like right. in the studio for like a week. And I was like, fuck, is it worth 200 bucks to be out of the studio for a whole week? Right. To do all this shit. <clears throat> yeah. I, I look at, I look at it the same way. Cause my mom's my accountant. She's, she works for like this big company and does all their, her, their numbers and shit. So it's just the easiest thing, but she's gotten, got me to the point when I look at a, an offer, if it's for $5, all I'll see is two fifty. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I don't see the whole thing. She's like, you get this much taken out of taxes. You get. So yeah, I always look at it like that. That's it. Taxes. Yeah. I don't even figure that shit in until. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's pretty funny that your, your mom's an accountant and your name is figure. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Why? Where'd the name figure come from? Is that like some Halloweeny shit, like dark figure, like silhouette type? Shit? No, I always think about how I could have came up with a better name for it because it doesn't fit any of this. But it was just part of what I used to tag when I was younger, which like, I don't even know where this came from. But it was eight figure IQ, and it was spelled all weird. And I think the only way I came up with that is writing random numbers and letters and trying to find a certain number about or like a balance so the the letters would balance right when it would be go go time to like paint them on something was an eight figure iq like an iq of a, a trillion or something i 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It, it definitely doesn't reflect someone that even close would have that because that doesn't exist. But um, yeah, but I mean that's pretty funny. Like saying eight figure IQ, it's like saying I got an IQ of a trillion. Right. Right. Well, maybe. But yeah, it honestly didn't even mean it didn't mean anything. It was just it was just about the proper letter balance. It just looked right. It it and it started right and it ended right and it looked like a solid thing. But I feel like the name eight figure IQ would be actually a sick DJ name. Like a sick yeah. Name. Actually, it'd be way funnier if you made IDM and called yourself Eight Figure IQ. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, "Man, that kid's gonna be so stuck up." And I'm like, yeah. "No, guys, it's, it's just me." It's no shit ever. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't realize that a lot of people were still using the term IDM until I started listening to the podcast, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I, I talk to my friend about it all the time, and. <laughs> It's like yep. how, how, uh, I was very annoyed when the term EDM came up and then that's just, that was the blanket statement. But then I wonder if people back in the day, like Aphex twin or anyone, if someone said IDM at the, when it first started, if it annoyed them. Well, I mean, there's that famous like clip of Aphex twin being asked about the term IDM and him saying something like, I think it's a dumb term because it insinuates or infers that like all other music is stupid. Because oh yeah. Like, I've never seen that clip. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There's that clip of, I think it's Apex saying something like that, but I mean, I don't know. It's just a fucking term, right? Like, right. Gives a shit. It's, it made it easier on airplanes for when you, you used to just have to say rave music or, you know, techno to some guy that was next to you asking what you did. Um, but now you just say EDM and he's like, Oh yeah. And then he names like four of your friends because everything's so fucking big now. And I'm like, you know, have you heard of Skrillex? And they're like, Oh my God, I love Skrillex. And I'm like, this dude is like 65 years old and <laughs> in a suit. And he's like, I love Skrillex. Like my daughter put me onto him. My son loves him. And I'm like, it's like that, but not as popular and good. Like yeah. it's not, <laughs> you're like, I'm like Skrillex, but not as good. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, it's like that music, but just not, not that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what he's basically doing what I do on steroids. <laughs> right. Right. He's, yeah. He's he's really so, good. so good. Yeah. I was actually listening to his first album uh on my barefoots when I first got him. First uh what was his first album that um Scary Sprites. Wasn't there one before that? Yeah. I think it was just called My Name is Skrillex, right? Or no, the... Uh, yeah. fuck, I can't. I should know this. Brain fart. Skrillex, Discog. Let's have a look. I played a, I played a show um, with him two, like two or three days after that My Name is Skrillex song came out. Oh, and nice. he was still on the, the Trigger Finger live. And it was just crazy within three days that... I mean, it was in Atlanta. It was this big fucking show. And it... He already was like blowing up, but it's before he he was just insanely in household name. But you could tell it was like it was as close as it was gonna get before he was just gonna blow up. And uh but I think it was before the album came out. But uh every single person in that fucking room knew the the you know, I mean it was just hi, my name is Skrillex, my name is Skrillex, my name is Skrillex, but like everyone was singing it the entire time. I was like, fuck, I've only heard this track twice. Like these people know this track front to back. It was, it was crazy. It was yeah. Crazy. It was like my name is Skrillex came out June 7, 2010. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a self-released record too. Jesus. Which means he must have made a ton of fucking money off that. Apparently Gypsy Hook, which was released April 7, 2009, and I guess it was just like uh, released by Sonny Moore, who would later use the alias Skrillex, was on Ausla and Atlantic though, which is like massive. Like Atlantic's huge. Were they saying it was he was on Ausla back then? I guess it got re-released on Ausla, and then uh, okay. I was gonna say because Ausla was way past that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that song. I don't remember Gypsy Hook. I guess it was like a limited edition to a CD, but it was also available as a digital download. Huh. I'll have to look at it, dude. The cover is pretty weird. I mean, I was probably playing it out, but. <laughs> My memory is, it's just, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, so long ago, and it's like, what, a, a, you know, it's a four minute MP3. Yeah. I just forget, I just forget about songs. Yeah, right. Um, do you, like, you? so you were listening to My Name is Skrillex on your barefoots when you first got them. What did you think of the, of the mix downs these days? Do you think it like held up? Well, no, I was listening to the first album. <coughs> um, uh, Recess or whatever? No, the, um the scary oh scary monsters scary monsters uh it was different i mean it still sounded it still sounded really good but it's that it it just i I don't know stuff sounded different back then in a way like i was listening to some of my old stuff that never sounded really good but worked on sound systems and i was just hearing stuff that i didn't know hearing just a lot of noise and a kick Mm -hmm. like damn i I didn't even EQ my kicks or any, I didn't do any of that shit back in the day. All the dude, all the early stuff I was doing, like the monsters one and all that stuff. I didn't even put sub bass in any of that. It was just, if the noise, if the baseline had natural sub, that's what we were. That's what I did. Yeah. I know that's like a technique that came around a little later. Hey, like it was just uh, originally people were just like, Oh yeah, here's a, a bass patch that's coming straight out of massive they're like maybe put a compressor and like an eq after it or something like that yeah and then just yeah if the sub in there then cool it was definitely nobody was like grouping all of their mid bases together and like cutting the lows and then layering a sub and then compressing right together or anything that's that's some like 2015 and onwards shit or something right right I, yeah i just i had no clue um and i it, you know it was like youtube tutorials weren't, weren't this big thing then and I didn't really know many people in the scene back then. I didn't want to ask the people I did know. So no one told me it was shit. So I just kept, yeah, I kept doing it, but it's, some of it's kind of funny because some of it, there's a couple that literally don't have any natural sub from the patch at all. Mm. And I'm like, how did, this was the one from the EP that everyone liked too. Like how, what the hell did kids listen to this on? (laughs) This is, this sounds fucking horrible, but I I think people just like, don't, care too much about the production quality like a lot of the shit that producers worry about like right. people are not concerned about and won't notice because right. they're like more focused on the musical idea they're not like sitting there like we are listening for like whether or not there's enough sub in something or whatever they're just kind of like their brain just does the mental gymnastics to be like oh there's probably sub in that and we'll hear it right. but like you know they're not sitting there on their barefoots in their treated room going like oh yeah no that doesn't <laughs> sound like there's a click on that kick and <laughs> right right that that's I, honestly that's kind of how i approach my shit is i don't <clears throat> get insanely nerdy on it i just 
if it sounds good, like I've been using maybe the same four kicks for three years now, made a couple kicks, went with them, a couple snares, go with it. I don't question it. I like them and I don't overly sculpt things out. And so sometimes I'll put it, I'll, you know, I'll mix it against someone else's track at a show and there'll be a very big difference and the others just sound thick, but then also I'll mix it against someone's track that I know knows what they're doing more than me or pays attention to what they're doing more than me. Uh, and mine's like louder and thicker. And so I don't know. I just kind of, just kind of run with my like old way of doing, doing stuff. I think it depends where the value is in your music too, right? Like for right. for somebody um, like my stuff, maybe the value a little bit, I think is in like the cleanliness of it mm -hmm. rather than the musical ideas. Whereas like, you know, somebody like, I don't know, it's a good example. Um, uh, I don't know, like bass nectar or something like the, the right. value of his music is not necessarily in uh, like the production so much. It's more or less in, the like musical idea you know he's got like these big riffs and stuff in his music right and, yeah yeah it's just about the effect of the sounds on the people almost and like it will it work at a show <clears throat> right yeah i felt weird even getting barefoots because i've just been using krks and like my uh odyssey headphones and stuff for so long and then i just finally decided like i've been using these you know monitors that cost $249 for this entire time in my career. Mm. And before that I was using the sixes, but I finally just did it. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. I can't believe I waited this long. Oh, these are sick, man. I, I use the LCD X's and they're amazing. I think like if yeah. you had to take my barefoots away from me, I'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. These for sure. Yeah, I definitely hear more detail on those than the barefoots, but that's yeah. just because general stereo imaging of headphones. But um, yeah, yeah, things in headphones you can hear better. I think is clicks and mm -hmm. distortion and uh, frequency separation stuff. I can hear those three things a lot better in headphones than I can on speakers. But on speakers, I hear like the big picture more. Um, I hear like whether or not there's enough sub in something more, and I hear. Yeah more clearly like you know if a sub note is off by like a semitone or something i'm like less less likely to hear that in headphones than i am on speakers yeah i can see that stuff like that yeah 100 hey you want to see something crazy yeah uh check the zoom chat and it's posted something in there but i just click that yeah just click that link and then this it links to a video and you can explain what you're seeing <laughs> it's not playing yet because of my internet, but like I can see what. It... Yeah. Jesus. So this is happening in San Francisco today, which is where I live. It's a, a Victorian home, formerly known as 807 Franklin Street, is traveling at a top speed of one mile per hour the wrong way and downhill towards its new location. <laughs> that. I couldn't watch too, too much of this because it's just going so slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I mean, essentially the still image is all you need to see. Just right. that it's moving very slowly across the road, but, um, there is, yeah, they're just moving like an entire fucking house on a truck somewhere else. 
That is wild. I see that happening sometimes on the highway and it's just, yeah. I mean, maybe that house has, you know, history behind it for them and they want to do it. Normally I see someone doing it on a house and I'm like, guys, that is a $200,000 normal house for Indiana. Why are you moving it? Like, Yeah. Uh, these houses, I guess, because they're like, um, uh, they have a lot of history because they're like Victorian houses. Right. Yeah, so they they definitely want to like keep keep them all how they are, and I don't know why they're moving them though. Like, why 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 move it? Like, just leave it there, right? Like, if the person wants to move house, why don't they just move into a different Victorian house in a different part of San Francisco? Like, all the houses here are Victorian, basically. Right, right, yeah. Or like, and also, how much does that how much does that even cost to move a house? Do you have to pay like certain things to the city to uh, do all that as well? The exact answer here. How much do you think it costs to move a house? How much do I? Or are you? I, I have the exact answer. So, like, what what do you think it costs if you had to take a guess? A hundred thousand dollars. Uh, it's four times that. It costs four hundred thousand dollars to move a house. Jesus, that's not even a big house. I mean, for a, for a big city, that's a lot of space, but. How, you know how much does that how much does the house cost versus how much like why are they moving it that's insane so somebody said why don't we demolish it he pondered aloud the word demolish not slipping easily through his lips <laughs> jesus this article is written pretty fucking romantically um, he's like, look at it. It's historic, original lumber. You cannot get lumber like that anymore. Tight grain from 800-year-old trees. No knots. It's a beautiful thing. Move a house, save a tree. <laughs> but why? I still don't understand Like, why he's like, we need the house, this specific house over there. <laughs> I bet they're going to... I bet some news station is going to interview them. Oh, for sure. I bet that answer will be... Uh... San Francisco Chronicle already has. Like, I'm looking at the article now. Oh, right. Along the route, parking meters were ripped up. Limbs from an overhanging laurel tree were trimmed. Traffic signs were relocated. Overhead traffic lights are coming down. And overhead wires that power the five Fulton beauty line will be turned off and unstrung. Dude, this is such a fucking mission to move this house. That is, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they need to, like, they need to explain in detail why that house yeah it's a six bedroom three bathroom house and it's uh going from 807 franklin street to 635 fulton street which is let me see how far that is if it's like a mile i'm gonna be so fucking confused yeah that's insane i mean maybe maybe a famous person used to live in it it dude it's a fucking three minute drive away it's wow. half a mile away that they're moving this entire house. Maybe they're just so they're so rich that they're just going, yeah, we want it over there. So it's going to go over there and that's what's going to happen. And we don't care. They're like, we want it slightly closer to salt and straw, the ice cream shop. <laughs> they want to be closer to Starbucks so they can walk out and get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, was, we're not quite close. We're too close to a Pete's coffee. We want to be closer to a Starbucks. <laughs> What a wild thing to spend $400,000 on. Yeah, I, I, 
don't really understand why. But yeah, there's a lot of rich people here, obviously, because of the tech industry. But, right. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. It's the first thing I saw when I woke up. I was like, wow. <laughs> someone's yeah, that's 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 insane. I wish I could do that with this house, to a closer tower for internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rather than just buy a different house, just like leave all of your shit like set up as it is, your studio and everything, just move the whole thing. Right. Just like I'll, I'll just be in, I'll use a generator so things are still plugged in. And then I'll just be in the house with a radio to the guy driving and watching my internet speed that I'm getting. And once I get up to a certain amount, I go, stop, this is where it's at. Just <laughs> put my house in that field. Yeah, totally. Just like keep running <laughs> speed tests. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's kind of nice not having like just really, really good internet because on the days it's good or it just, it seems to be, I swear when the wind blows, right, we get good internet. That's what it feels like. But, um, I'll waste the entire day playing call of duty and stuff. So, or I don't know, just spending time online, like it, or I'll be like, Oh, this is the day I'll, I'll download everything I needed to on my laptop and I'll just spend too much time. So it's almost been, uh, it's almost been a good thing instead of a hindrance. Yeah, I feel that. I used to live in a pretty rural spot in Australia and having shitty internet there was kind of a blessing in some way because it yeah, it made me focus on my work more because it was like I could never game there, for instance, and I could never right. do any of that stuff. Right. Have you seen anything about that Starlink, the Elon Musk's? Um, I mean the Neuralink, the brain thing? No, he has the, the internet. Oh, shit. I have not. I have to Google this. It's all just based off bouncing off satellites and then you buy this mini satellite dish and you install it and that's how you get it. Oh, cool. And this is just going to be like sick internet for people who live in like rural places. So I, I guess, I don't know about the, the speed. I don't know if it's about speed or just general access. You know, they actually just passed a, a bill here about, um, hopefully I benefit from this soon. They, uh, I can't remember what the bill is called, but it's basically because everyone's working from home and kids are going to school from home and all that other stuff. It's made them realize how bad the internet out in the country is. Mm. So it's, so all these different internet companies got into a bidding war for to get this basic, this account from the city to start building towers all out here and on the other sides of the outskirts of the city Mm. to give everyone appropriate internet. That makes sense. Yeah, actually, that's probably that's a good point. It's pretty good time right about now to realize um, how bad the internet is for everyone because everyone has to be at home using their own internet. Right. I mean, sometimes I can't be watching a, a video on YouTube and her try to load some, and my girlfriend Emily try to load something on Netflix. Mm. It's just that Netflix will just spin and YouTube will spin, and they're just fighting for each other, <laughs> fighting each other for signal wild but no i don't mind it it's not that big big of a deal yeah no having slow internet's fine i guess it's like a totally okay thing if you're trying to just get work done but yeah it's looking like starlink um users can expect to see data speeds from around 50 megabytes a second to 150 megabytes a second and latency from 20 milliseconds to 40 milliseconds in most locations Dude, my internet here is symmetric gigabit fiber. So I get a thousand megabytes up and a thousand megabytes down. It's incredible. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's the coolest shit ever. It's the fastest internet I've ever had. And it costs $40 a month. I'm paying 120. 
for this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I live in the middle of like tech heaven. Right. <laughs> Everyone a here. Thousand down. That that's that's wild. The a thousand down bit is not the bit that gets me. It's the, the a thousand up bit that gets me. That's like the craziest shit. Cause it's like I can be working on just like projects out of Dropbox, right? Like all my Ableton projects are just in Dropbox. And literally as soon as I hit save, it's like they're just instantly saved to the cloud, like without waiting at all. I can right. just, like as long as the sample I'm dropping in is unless I, you know if it has a thousand megabytes of shit to sync it syncs it like pretty much instantly if it's more than that then it syncs it in like 20 seconds i never thought about really doing that uh i've always i, I i've done a couple collabs using splice you know just making that a little bit easier and i'll back up all my shit all the time on, on different um different external hard drives but i never really thought about just saving them to dropbox yeah, Dropbox is a great way to do collabs too. Like if you have a shared Dropbox folder with somebody, right? then they can open the project on their end. As soon as they hit save, it's like updated on your end too. And then you can open it, work on it, you can hit save, and then it updates on their end. It's like huh. a really easy way to like not have to you know send links back and forth. You just both always have the most updated version. You just have to stay in contact about who's got it open at what time because you both can't work on it at the same time, obviously. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I use it to obviously send project files and stuff, but I didn't realize that it would update live. I thought you would have to, you know, collect all and save and send and upload everything again to send them the new updated version. But no, you the just, way you're saying that, yeah, you hit collect all and save, you just shut the project, and then it's updated for them on their end. I'm gonna start doing that. Yeah, it's a good way to do it for sure. Yeah, for the two collabs I do a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do nice. Well, hey, man, um, I should probably go eat breakfast. I usually do these podcasts before I eat and then halfway through or, or roughly at about this time, I'm like, fuck, I need to eat food. Oh, yeah, that's that's tough. I couldn't do it. I have to eat before I fucking do it. Eat food and coffee. Oh, yeah, I do coffee and tea and shit for like the first few hours of the day. I do intermittent fasting. So like I stop eating at 8 p.m. at night and then I don't eat until about like one or two the next day. So I... right. I eat for about six to eight hours a day and then I fast for about 16 to 18 hours a day. Right. Yeah, I've heard that stuff works. My friend's really into it. My schedule, I just always, even though I'm just home, I change my schedule so much or I'll, I'll start staying up till 9 a.m. And then two days later, I go to bed at 10.30 p.m. So <laughs> like a timer, right? So like you eat for 16 hours then just like press a timer on your phone and then whenever it beeps after eight hours or 16 hours is completed, then you just go like, all right, eating time. Right. I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it makes me feel, if it feels a lot better. To, like if I don't do it and I just eat constantly, I just fucking always feel bloated. And Yeah. I talked to Zeke about it actually on the podcast. He does these yeah. like crazy three-day water fasts. So I, I would yeah, I heard that. That's that's wild. I'll do. I, I did the like just the lemon and cayenne pepper fast for a couple days, and I just had to stop. I was just getting so. It, it, I almost felt the same as I did. I did keto for a while, and I just felt I just these insane headaches and every. I just couldn't make it past that hump. Mm. Especially because I'm just here. I can make it past the hump if I'm going on airports and do you know I'm doing stuff, but I'm just here. So it's all I had to focus on was how bad it sucks that I, I can't eat bacon and eggs this morning or something. Yeah, totally. But yeah. Well, fuck yeah, man! It was awesome chatting with you. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. 
yeah, of course. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, normally there, there is, but weird COVID times, right? So <laughs> yeah, I kind of like it like that. Just no one is trying to like plug shit right now. It's everyone's just like down to chat and have conversations though. It's cool. Right. Like norm. Yeah. Normal shit. I, don't know, I have tons of music done, but I don't know. I'm just sitting on stuff. Nice. So. Oh yeah, man. I'd love to hear some of it at some point. If you want to send whips, I'd uh, be super down to listen to them. Yeah. I'll send you this one thing. It's actually what I'm going to do for the, uh, the crypto thing we were talking about, I think, but oh fuck yeah, um, it's like an entire EP as one song, but in one session of Ableton, it was made, mm-hmm. but it's all these different songs together, but they all flow together. It's like a story. And then I made a whole video for it. Mm-hmm. It's like nineties hacker video vibes. Fuck yeah. It's, it's cool stuff. But yeah. Anyway, I'll let you go. I don't want to keep you from your breakfast. Yeah. No worries, man. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.